message. It's going to be fantastic. It's by Chaplain Dave Haltom. Chaplain Haltom is the wing chaplain at Jay Bear. Uh, he is Assemblies of God appointed chaplain, been here about a year and a half. He has the most unique situation. He also is the Ohana pastor at New Hope Leeward campuses in Oahu. And uh, that means, in addition to other things, he leads their small group ministry there. They're a small church. They have around 70,000 people that go there, and they have 2,500 groups. And he now is part of Malden Community Assembly. He is now an Alaskan. We, uh, you know, we're, we need, are you a resident, I take it? Not yet? You are now officially a resident. Malden Assembly made you a resident. Help me welcome. His, his nickname is Happy Chappy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Chaplain Dave Haltom. Hit the video. There we go. Tired of small groups always getting into your business? Trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it? Network? Maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with that. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Hey, oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? That's uh, not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? <laughs> and there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Well, good morning, MCA. How's everybody doing? Hey, uh, I'm Chaplain Dave Haltom. As Pastor again mentioned, I really appreciate the, uh, the invitation to come and to talk to you today about life groups, right? And about the, the, the impact and awesomeness and what God has designed for us through uh, these type of gatherings. And of course, so we're going to start with my life group, right? The people I've chosen to do life together and who God has blessed us with. And uh, so as you mentioned, we've been here about a year and a half in Alaska. And man, 
We are digging it. It is cool here, and uh, we've been able to get out and do a lot of things. This was yesterday at the uh, Pumpkin Patch and the Harvest Festival, and that's my beautiful wife, Tina, there. Uh, we've been married for 19 years now, together for 21, and then you can see... Uh, uh, the quiver that the Lord has blessed me with, our firstborn, uh, Nevaeh Joy. She was born in Utah when we were at Hill Air Force Base there. And uh, she's the leader of the group, right? And then, of course, we have our two boys. Now, how many here have boys? Right? Now, we've affectionately named them Search and Destroy, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But our secondborn is Noah Michael, and he was born in Wisconsin. After a uh, two-year separation from my wife, uh, uh, the Air Force sent me, and I was deployed for a year to Iraq, and then the Air Force, in its infinite wisdom, decided that I needed to go a restricted remote tour right after that to Thule Air Base in Greenland. It's the very northern tip of Greenland, like way inside the Arctic Circle, the middle of nowhere, right? And so, uh, but when I got home, 10 days later, Noah Michael was born. You're like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the Lord blessed us for the few days we were able to get together. And so, uh, you know, he was born in Wisconsin. You know, there's Immaculate Conception. I'm not sure how to... But, uh, but then, you know, you know what the Air Force does when they, you know, separate you from your family for two years and send you into the middle of the Arctic? They send you to Hawaii. Can I get an amen, right? And so my next assignment, three years in Hawaii. And so that's where number three was born, Jonah Kai. And he's seven years old and he is the life of the party. I remember when we went uh, up to uh, Alieska to get on the tram for the first time, he was standing in the middle of the tram, and he always just walks around in the middle of a crowd, right? And he just like, hey, what's up, ski dudes? And they were all just talking, you know, and then all of a sudden he stopped, and, and he realized there was a female. And he goes, wait, girls can't ski, <laughs> right? And, and all the guys were like, ooh, right, like that, you know? And he kind of reads the room, and he immediately knew that there was something wrong with that. So he goes, wait, 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 wait. Actually, girls ski better than boys, right? And some dude on the, on the tram goes, you're going to be just fine. Yeah, that's, that's my third born. So, you know, the middle child, kind of the peacemaker. And then we've got that third born wild child, life of the party. Anybody feel me? Right? And so God has blessed us. Uh, and uh, we've, you know, how many know that military families go through some struggles? Right? We have some, there's some ups and downs in life. There's some difficulties. And I got to be honest with you, there are times, there are maybe weeks, days, there are seasons, entire years where our family, our life group looks a lot like shallow, small group. Anybody been there? Right? You know, in your own family, you're just not going to go there today. I just need to get away. I need to hide. Uh, I'm not going to enter into the brokenness of my sister or my brother or my wife. You know, we're going to avoid that. We're going to avoid conflict altogether. We're just not going to talk about that. You know, we just, we keep it surface. And I think that's normal. We all do that, right? But we know that that's not what God, you know, wants for us in life groups, right? Now, how many have ever been in a shallow relationship? Have you been in one? Do you know what that looks like, right? More of an acquaintance, you know, really? It's like, in fact, you come to church, you don't even really know their name. It's like, what's up, bro? Hey, dude. Hey, brother. Hey, you know, <laughs> what's up, man? You know, <laughs> and you, you can go for a year without knowing their name, right? <laughs> and you can you have a lot of conversations. You can know everything about their life and not even know their name. I think we all, we, and that's not what God wants for us, right? Now, I, I was licensed in 1994 to preach as a junior at, uh, at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, at that time, I just immediately got into pastoring. Uh, later on, then two master's degrees, uh, you know, divinity and counseling, and then into chaplaincy. Uh, Fifteen years as a chaplain. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that after counseling thousands upon thousands of families, there are families who look like shallow small group as a rule. 
as a rule. Like, they don't really, there's no transparency, there's no vulnerability, they don't, they don't walk with each other in their broken times, they don't, they, don't, they don't discipline their children, they don't set bars, you know, they, don't, they avoid conflict at all costs, and, and, and that's kind of the pattern of the world. And that's kind of the model that, you know, let's go along to get along and do what's easy, and I don't care if they're on their iPads for 45 hours a day, you know, whatever it is, you know, and, and they go along to get along, and that's kind of the pattern of the world. But that's not what God wants for us, Amen. And we've learned that that pattern can be very destructive. But because of Jesus, we know that there is a new and living way to do this thing called life together. And today we're going to be talking about that from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, okay? Now, this morning we're going to look at God's Word for some clues on what exactly the new and living way and meeting together is supposed to look like. And we're going to do that right here, okay? And so uh, let's go ahead and bring up our text today. And it, verse 25, and this, this verse is really the hallmark verse that is used by all pastors across the country to justify life groups, right? And, and, and it's something that is spoken about. Uh, a lot of churches use it. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to start there. And what I like to do is I like everybody to lift their voice and let's read it together. Together, go. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And so we see that God calls us to more than just doing life together with our family, right? We're actually supposed to go outside of our family. We're supposed to meet with the family of God, with our spiritual family. We're not supposed to give up meeting together. So become, uh, before my family came to J-Bear, we were in Hawaii. So we were uh, after, you know, Greenland in Hawaii for three years. And we went to California and it was there for two years, uh, but deployed again. And, you know, after that deployment, I, we realized that I had been gone three of the previous five years. And we just felt the Lord leading us off active duty. And so we moved into the reserves, or so we thought. We moved into the reserves. And at that time, Pastor Wayne Cordero in Hawaii uh, had... Uh, hired me to be the edification pastor, discipleship pastor, uh, then the Ohana group's pastor. And uh, one of those things, this, this is our Ohana group that we had there. And, uh, you know, we were, this is my spiritual family. We were doing life uh, together. And you can see the whole group there. And I can say, I can tell you that with absolute certainty, as, as, as we lived and did life together and we had group together, there, there are people in that group, they went through a lot together. And we had to manage uh, difficulties and all kinds of relationships through the time uh, that we had grouped together because people, as a rule, they actually really enjoy shallow small group. I mean, who doesn't? And super's in the word, right, <laughs> of superficial, and who doesn't want to be super? And, and uh, it takes time for people to really open up and to, you know, to allow you into their space and into their brokenness. And, and so uh, we, we had to manage a lot of different things. And I can tell you that uh, they didn't really get the concept of what ohana meant, right? And ohana means family, right? All the Disney people, they've watched Disney, right? It's, they know Ohana means family. They didn't really know what this meant, the scripture verse. What does meeting together actually mean? What is God's design for relationship when we're meeting together? In fact, maybe you have wondered what this meeting together is supposed to be all about. And so we're going to look uh, to the context of this verse to kind of give us a clue. We're just going to kind of step back a few verses to see what God through his Holy Spirit, tells us this meeting together is supposed to be all about. So let's start in verse 19 with some transitional verses. And, and let me explain what's kind of going on in Hebrews here. So I don't know if you knew this, but Hebrews 
is not a book that is meant to be read. Hebrews was actually written as a sermon that was meant to be heard. And what do we learn in Bible college? Three points and a poem, right? Yeah, so, uh, and so the author of Hebrews, he's got two points, and he kind of just broke down the two points, and then he's got an application section. And, they, and then the, the, these verses right here are sort of the transitional verses as he's breaking away from his two points and moving into the application section, which we'll see on the next slide, verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, which formed the thesis of the whole application section of the rest of the book, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. And so he says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, therefore, because of everything I've just said, and we can enter the most holy place in God's presence because of the blood of Jesus, all right, by a, let's say this together, a and living way, open for us through the curtain that is the body of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here it is. He's about to tell us everything that the Christian life is supposed to be about. Everything that he's just broken down, how do you live your life? What is it about? Here it is. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. See, in the Old Testament, it was stand back from God. He's holy, he's holy. But now because of Jesus, we can draw near to God with a sincere heart. It's all about the heart, right? In full assurance of, say it with me, faith. Okay, and then after he says faith, he gives us to uh, acts of faith or breaks down faith and kind of what that means. He starts with having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, which we symbolize in communion. We just did that. It's a symbol of the priest when they would go into the tabernacle right in the desert and later on the temple. And I don't know if you knew this, but they had to sprinkle blood on everything, right? So the priest would have to sprinkle all of his garments and his, from the head to the toe with blood, just blood everywhere. Then he had to go in the tabernacle, sprinkle it all, the walls, everything, all the furniture, everything with blood. Why? Because blood covers sin. It makes atonement. It covers the sin, right? And so we celebrate that in communion. And then he says, and having our bodies washed with pure water, which symbolizes baptism, right. So two acts of faith broken down right there, the two ordinances of the church, okay. And then he goes into the next verse and he says, let us hold unswervingly to the we profess. Uh, Now, a lot of people have hope, but do you profess it? Critical, right? For he who promised is faithful. Now, how many believe that? He who promised is faithful. You got to believe that. Right? Then he goes into the last part, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Say it together. Love and good deeds. Faith, hope, love. Three verses. Verse 22 serves as a thesis statement for chapter 11, which says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It talks all about faith, right? Then verse 23 is the thesis statement for chapter 12, which talks about running the race marked out for us, throwing off everything that hinders, persevere, and your hardship is discipline. All of that, right? And then chapter 13, which is verse 25, is the th- or verse 24 is the thesis statement, love. And he says, love, brotherly love, continue. And so you see this kind of thesis statement. And then he continues into the verse that we have today, which is not give up meeting together is some of the habit of doing, right? And so I just love this passage. I often call it a perseverance salad. You're like, why would you call it that? Oh, because it's full of so much lettuce. I know, that was bad. Is there a dad group, a dad joke support group in the church? Yeah, I'm a repeat offender, so we'll get through this together. Everybody turn your ear and say, we're, we're in this together. We're in this together. We're going to get through it. So, but I do love this passage, 
It's like everything that God wants us to be concerned with after we've chosen to follow him. And so the title of the message today is A New and Living Way, God's Design for Relationship. And that's really what meeting together comes down to, isn't it? You know, relationships. You know, when you want to talk about life groups and doing life together, it's all about relationships. Everybody repeat this after me. Life is relationships. The rest is just detail. And that's the truth. And as you see here, that through Jesus, God has enabled a new and living way for for restored relationship with God, self, and others. And the pathways of relationship, and this is for your message guide, are faith, hope, and love. Right? First is faith. What's faith? Faith is a funnel through which all grace flows. I mean, everything that God wants to give us in Christ comes to us and flows to us through the conduit of faith. And it serves as the foundation of the next thing, hope. All right? Hope is a confident expectation that better things are ahead. And God has designed us to be full of hope. I often say, no hope, no cope. Say that with me. No hope, no cope. And it's true. You know, if you're not full of hope as God has designed you to be full of, you can't even deal with the the simplest stressors in life. You can't cope with just the basic stressors in life. But God, through his Holy Spirit, empowers, gives us hope. And we're to be full of it, right? And then based on the foundation of faith up and hope in, we now can actually love out in the way that God has intended, in the kind of sacrificial way that flows from God. And not just agape love, right? But storge and philia, and eros. Now, if you want to know about, more about love, C.S. Lewis has actually written a great book called The Four Loves, and you might check it out. There's other stuff been written about it also. And so that's God's relational plan for us, right? Once you've come to, to know Jesus and you've decided to commit your life to him and to tr- trust him as Savior and Lord and follow him, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this. Now, now these three remain for the church after you've come to him. What was it? Say it with me. Faith, hope, right? and love. Right? And so God intends to accomplish his work through this relationship triad. And he lays this out in verses 22 through 24. We're to be growing upward in faith, inward in hope, and outward in love. See, faith, it gets us on the path. And that's celebrated in chapter 11 of Hebrews, like I talked about. All right, Hope keeps us walking on the path. And that's talked about in chapter 12. And if you didn't know, Hope in the Bible is always expressed in terms of perseverance. Persevere, hold fast, right? And then, of course, love, growing outward in love, that's where the path leads us in chapter 13 into the Great Command and the Great Commission. Speaking of the Great Command, Jesus himself referenced these three relationships of life in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, up, right? Love others out as yourself, right? Inward, the three relationships of life. And so Hebrews is teaching us that faith is the foundation of true and real hope. You just can't have real hope without it. And hope serves as the foundation of true and real, and in this verse, sincere, tender-hearted love, okay? And that's God's plan. Now, of course, Satan has a plan for us too, right? You know that, right? And Satan likes to flip the script and make everything, turn everything upside down and backwards, okay? 
And so Satan has a plan too. What he wants you to do is instead of starting with the upward, he wants to get your eyes focused on the outward and keep you stuck right there. Right? So he wants you to, to focus on the outward and all the strained relationships in your life that are governed by hate. Okay? And then those strained relationships determine how you feel about yourself inside. Your value of self-worth, your value as a person, your position in the economy of grace. Everything is, is confused because life just stinks out here. And so he wants us to be consumed with outward hate, which then causes despair internally, which then in turn makes us doubt that God really loves us. Right, so if I'm if, if, if everything is going wrong in my life, okay, my relationships stink. They're breaking apart. I've got conflict. I've got I've got people that make fun of me. I've got people who don't like me. They make me feel terrible. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I don't matter. What that often does is it causes us to question. Well, oh, man, I guess God really doesn't love me. I mean, why would all this junk be happening in my life? Why would I feel this way if there's a loving God in heaven who has a plan for my life? And I guess God doesn't really have a plan for my life, for that matter. And that kind of despair leads us to a point where even we're like, I wonder if God even exists, right? And so instead of faith, hope, and love, we have doubt, despair, and hate. And that's Satan's plan, to keep you focused out here. And let that be the bar that determines everything else in your life. But God says, look up. Everybody look up. Let him set the bar. Let him determine your value as a person. Let him determine and through the, the word of God. Allow that to shape who you are. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, not in what these other people are saying about you. Amen? And so let's see where the new and living way leads. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go phrase by phrase, word by word, uh, kind of through uh, verse 25, and we're just going to kind of unpack, right, what God has for us. But like any time you unpack anything... It can kind of hurt a little bit, can it? It can get a little uncomfortable. Are you ready? ready. Everybody turn to your neighbor asking, are you ready? ready. All right, let's get through it. Verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's where Jesus leads us, to the day. You're like, what's that? Well, apparently for Brian, it's Christmas, right? <laughs> right? You know, for other people, the day. What is that, my birthday? What is he talking about, right? And so we know that hope produces love. It's the foundation of it. But hope of what? What is our hope? Well, it's God's salvation, right? Being saved. And in this context, it's talking about the day of the Lord where the salvation, or the phase of salvation taking place is the glorification of our bodies. You're like, phases of salvation, what's that about? Well, there's election, God choosing us, and by the way, he chooses everybody. Then there's justification, where we choose God and we're justified, right? right? Then there's sanctification, the third phase, where through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's weeding out all the sin in our life, and we're becoming more and more like Christ, usually through hardship. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? And then the final phase that we are, are going to experience on the day of the Lord, the glorification of our bodies, all right? Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, amen? Not to bear sin as he did the first time, but to bring salvation or glorification to those who are waiting for him. And this is our great hope, okay? That's what's referenced here in Hebrews 10, and I kind of like to begin with the end in mind. How many know the seven habits of highly effective people? 
Yeah, that's one of them. Begin with the end in mind. So I kind of like to work backwards through Scripture. I love it. I'm packing it. And we do that in the military a, a lot. It's called the bottom line up front or the bluff, okay? And so the bluff is that uh, the purpose of meeting together is that we're encouraging one another as we work toward the day of the Lord. We're waiting for the day. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 through 50, uh, 51 through 58, explains the day of the Lord in more depth. It says this, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. Who has a good trumpet? I don't, I don't do it very well, right? Where's Johnny? He, he can blow the horn, right? Wouldn't that be cool if the trumpet of God sounded like a saxophone? That would, he'd be like, and let's go. All right. <laughs> in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, right? The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be, say with me, changed. Now, I don't know about you, I'm going to look a lot like Arnold Schwarzenegger. See, I know that. I'm going to be, it's going to look a lot different. This is going to be gone, right? We're going to be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. The mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And he's quoting Isaiah 25, 8. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's quoting from Hosea 13, 14. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the new and living way. So he says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, stand firm. firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves to the work, say it with me, the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, did you know that the deepening of your faith, hope, and love requires work? It requires work. Loving someone can be work. Come on now, everybody turn to your neighbor, repeat after me, and say this, loving you is work. You know what I'm talking about, right? And the Bible says that we are always to be giving ourselves fully, and all God's people said, to the work of the Lord as we wait for the day of the Lord. And so we're learning that the work of the Lord are those things that generate and sustain relationships upward, inward, and outward, that deepen faith, hope, and love. And as it says, you know, that labor, it's not in vain. Okay, just one more time to your neighbor and say, loving you is not in vain. It's not in vain. All right, Hebrews 3 says this, He's bringing salvation to those who are waiting for him, right? So we're waiting for the day, for Jesus to return and save us. And we're to be working while we're waiting. It's not like some passive thing. We're not chilling out at Starbucks. We're actually going out and we're doing something. The question is, what work are we to be involved in, right? Well, faith up, hope in, love out, right? And so uh, let's look at what we're supposed to be doing along the way. As we're walking with Jesus, it says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and that for your message guide, but, that's a key word, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so let's sort of work backwards through that. Now in the Greek, 
The word encourage, it actually means to call to one's side, to comfort, to console, and to strengthen, okay? Now, basically, it means this, to put courage into someone. To encourage, put courage into someone. That's what the word means. So when you read that, you have that greater definition, and that's for your message guide. You might just write that in your Bible as well, to put courage in when you see the word encouragement. We're called as Christians, to a courage-filled life. And our relationships are to be characterized by courage. And it takes courage to step into someone's life, right? Now, also notice the conjunction, but. It doesn't say, and, let us encourage one another. It says, but, all right? Encouragement is the opposite, then, of what's stated earlier, of giving up. Of giving. How many know people in their relationships and their families, they've just given up, right. right? Well, God calls us to something more. It's work. We can't give up, but we meet together, okay? If we give up in our duty, then we've not obeyed this verse completely. That means anytime that we meet together, according to this verse, if you fail to encourage one another then you haven't met the intent and heart of God for Christian community. Think about that before you leave today. You haven't actually met the intent and heart of God in meeting together if you leave here and you have not put courage into a brother or sister. You've encouraged them. You've come alongside. You've consoled. You've lifted them up. Some of us just blow in, drop the kids off, blow in here, sit down, don't talk to anybody, then we blow out, right? Go, got my guy fixed. That is not what meeting together is supposed to be about. That's not God's design for relationship with God himself, with with others, right? And then we see this third word, habit. Well, that means it's a daily thing. In fact, some had lost the habit you see here. In fact, we see in Hebrews 3, it commands us to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, all right? Now, I know sometimes uh, me and my wife, we come to the end of the day and we're exhausted and maybe there's been some difficulty between us, some strain. And the last thing you want to do, right, is encourage one another and work it out. But what does it say? As long as it's called today, right? And so God wants us to get in there, to initiate. And that's actually here in the Greek, the grammar, this word is in the active voice. It means we don't wait for other people to encourage us. We take the initiative. It's not about whether they deserve it or not. Now listen, we got to realize that our love for other people has nothing to do with them. You're like, what are you talking about? It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with my responsibility to receive love from God and give that out. God's called me to love my wife. That has nothing to do with her. It doesn't matter if she deserves it today, tomorrow, next week. My responsibility is to what? Love my wife. It has nothing to do with her. She doesn't have to deserve it. My love for my church, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with my responsibility. You don't have to deserve it. This is why Jesus said, love your enemy. So I said, that's how you can love your enemy. It's because your love for them has nothing to do with them. It flows from God through you to others. But two of us start out here, Satan's plan. And we're like, oh, well, you don't deserve it. Tit for tat, baby. Uh, you treat me poorly, well, fine. Talk to the hand, right? <laughs> you know? And that's not how love's supposed to work, 
right, sacrificially, my love for the world. It has nothing to do with them. They may marginalize me. They may, they may just rebuke me. They may hate me. My love for them is not contingent upon their love for me. They, say it with me, they may do all kinds of stuff. And that's what we always blame, right? Well, they, blah, 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 X, Y, and Z. I have three kids. They're always the blame game, right? Well, they, well, they, well, they, and then their love or, you know, their attitude is contingent because they did that and they did that and that. But what has God called you to be in relationship with them, right? And people, it's going to take courage because they don't deserve it. And if you're going to step into their brokenness and you're going to step into their space and you're going to encourage and bring through the Holy Spirit something, a love that God has for them, it's going to take courage. It's going to take boldness to do that. Right? But I I got a word for you. You can do it! For all those Adam Sandler, Rob Snyder fans. Anybody like the water boy? You want to say that with me? Come on. You can do it. You got to deal with the accent. You can do it. Right? Yeah. Right? Now, courage is required. Involving yourself in someone else's business takes courage because it can drive a fear response. You all know what the responses to fear are. Fight, flight, freeze, right? And, there's these, and that's for your message guide. Fight or flight. Those are the two big ones. And when you step into someone else's life, it can drive fear. And their response may be not something that you want. And 2 Timothy 1.7 kind of addresses this it says for god has not given us a spirit of right but of what power love sound mind but when we're not operating according to the holy spirit power love sound mind right and we dare to enter into somebody else's space or brokenness that can sometimes drive a real fear response like fight now how many fighters we got in the room stop pointing at your husband i can see it you're gonna find right she's like i'm a fighter right this is my fight song. Ba, ba. Right? They've got the radio going. They're like, come on. Bing. Right? <laughs> you know, and we got fighters. You know, and I'm telling you, you try to enter into a fighter's space, and, and I'm telling you, they take your encouragement as an assumption that there's some sort of thing in their life that needs to be fixed, or, or, or maybe they're weak in some way and they need to be supported. And man, you are so judgmental, man. How dare you come and say, and I need to correct something, right? And they fight back, man, I don't need your help. Boom, talk to the hand, right? <laughs> I've experienced that, have you? Yeah, I think you've experienced that. Now for others, it's flight. And uh, that we, we, we encounter these people all the time and you know, they're so broken they're so withdrawn. They're just hard to reach, and you, you just don't know what to say. You know, maybe they've lost a child, right? Or, or maybe uh, they've lost a spouse. Or perhaps they're going through a divorce. And, and you just you don't know what to say. And it takes courage to step into that space. Have you been there? Yeah. Right? It takes courage to encourage and to come alongside and to console And it takes boldness to put courage into them. You can do it. You can do it. And that's got to be an intentional habit is what we're seeing here from Scripture. And then there's also the third response of freeze, but I think you get the point. And what we're really talking about with encouragement is the power of the Holy Spirit which helps us identify that encouragement isn't just an activity we're to be involved in. Encouragement is a person, right? 
See, the Greek word for encourage is the same one used for the name comforter when talking about the Holy Spirit. Same exact word, encouragement, Holy Spirit. Encouragement, comforter. You see this in John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter, another encourager to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because another sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you, and this is super important, and he will be, say it with me, in you. I mean, we talk a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit for empowerment like we see in Acts. And we think of the courage that the Spirit gives us to go off to foreign lands on the annual missions trip, right? You know, and to have these great seasonal moments in our life, these mountaintop experiences. But if we're reading Scripture properly... We see the Holy Spirit is given to power the daily walk, uh, the, the relationships that we've chosen to do life together with, what we might call the normal mundane activities of life, but we don't often think about it that way, do we? See, another comforter will be in you. And when you understand the Greek here, God giving us his Holy Spirit at conversion to enable gifts and in increasing measure through the baptism of the Holy Spirit is literally God putting his courage in to us, right? And that can be something radical in our life or it could be something we dismiss. People usually equate the works of the Spirit with signs and wonders, but when we encourage one another... We show that the Spirit really dwells among us. When we embolden one another to do that thing in our flesh that we don't want to do, like forgive a brother or sister in Christ, when we help someone do that and release and let it go, let it go, right? Come on. Anymore, let it go. Okay. When we encourage someone to do that and to forgive, we're actually doing the work of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, we're joining with the Holy Spirit in an activity. We're doing the work alongside the Holy Spirit. Encouragement, I believe, is the best indicator that the Spirit is working in and through our families and our churches. Scripture says, by your fruit will you be known. Well, what fruit should a Spirit-filled life bear? Well, faith up, hope in, and absolutely love out. Amen. My sister uh, and I were uh, having Christmas together, and we were at my dad's house. So my parents, uh, they live in Springfield, Missouri, just a little bit outside of town there. Uh, he teaches at Evangel University, uh, taught at Central Bible College for years and years, Greek, New Testament, and all that. And so, yeah, he's a teacher of Greek. So imagine what my family devotions look like. Like, doxa boy, doxa. I mean, he's right. Trust me, they were not like yours. And uh, so, you know, breaking down the Hebrew and it. And so uh, five years old is crazy. But uh, he, so he teaches at Evangel now, and, and, and uh, he's actually retired, but teaches a full load as a retired person, so he just keeps going. But uh, we were at Christmas uh, there at his house. Now, I was single at this point. My sister got married when she was 18, my younger sister. She got married when she was 18, started having kids right away. And so we're at Christmas, and she's in the kitchen helping mom prepare the Christmas meal, and, and she's got her son, Cade, little grandson, Cade, just a baby, and uh, what kind of a toddler, and he's trapped in captivity and distress in the playpen. 
All right. So he apparently gotten into something and he was in trouble. And so, uh, but he was just crying. His tear-stained cheeks were just sobbing. His little chubby arms lifted up in the air. And he was just going, I went out, I went out. And then he spotted Papa. That's my dad, Grandpa. And he's like, he just starts crying out, Papa, out, Papa, out. And it just, okay. And so he goes over and he starts walking toward the playpen. And just then, law and order entered the room. My sister heard him get up, and she turns. She says, Cade, no, you're being punished, right? And she said, Dad, don't you dare pick him up. Now, what's a grandpa to do? I mean, here's this, 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 this imprisoned little child crying at the top of his lungs, right? But my dad, you know, he's lived a, a few years, and he knows better than to get between a mama disciplining her child and all the men in the house said amen right so you know he values his life so he knows better than that you know and so he's kind of torn and here's papa out papa and he's like okay i can't i can't do it so he had to walk away he tried everything to kind of avoid that but i'm telling you when when kate saw papa walk away it's like we went from a richter scale of five to ten and he just it was a meltdown and he's papa <laughs> it filled the whole house. He had my dad. He went and he put on Bose nose can, noise canceling earphones, trying to block it out. He was reading the paper. This went on for like fifteen minutes, and finally he just couldn't stand it anymore. And so he kind of flipped his lazy boy back. And my sister heard the lazy boy go down, and he started walking toward the playpen. He is moving toward that playpen. My sister comes around the corner. Dad, don't you dare! Don't you do it. He's still moving. He's moving toward that playpen. He's coming up. He walked, walked to the edge of it. He looks down at Kate, and my sister goes, Dad? Right? And Dad pauses, and he goes, Well, little buddy, if you can't come out, I'm coming in. And here's jolly old Grandpa piling down into the playpen. And he turns to Kate and says, how long are you in for, buddy? What's your sentence, you know? And my sister just glared at her, right? Now, listen, it takes courage to encourage someone else, right? And, and, and we learn that encouragement is a person, right? And just like my dad did in that situation, the Holy Spirit is like that with us. And, and, and encouragement we're learning here, is actually the Holy Spirit himself. And when we encourage others in bold moves, we're walking in the shoot, we're being the Holy Spirit to other people. Now listen, at the time of the writing of Hebrews, there was great persecution of Christians. Man, their life groups, they did not look like your life groups, right? Their life groups, uh, man, they talk about persecution. They had persecution severe from Sanhedrin, from the Pharisees in Jerusalem, but primarily from Rome. They were tortured. They were banned from meeting together. In fact, to get together, they had to use code words, secret words. My boys would love this, right? They had to use ichthus, right? It's just the Greek word. It means fish. Or they'd use the little symbol of the fish. How many have got a fish on the back of their car, right? Not so secret, right? And you're not banned from meeting together, but that's how they would use the fish, to allow access into these meetings, which often were in the wee hours of the morning. They were very early because most of the Christians were slaves and they had to meet before their masters got up and started the day. And so they had to meet in secret. 
The thing is, there were so many people becoming Christians in the Roman Empire, specifically in Bithynia, that it started to affect the local commerce, right? Can you imagine if we had so many Christians, it shaped the way commerce was done? And the deal here is that the main staple of the, uh, of the Roman commerce was the selling of animals for pagan sacrifice. And so more and more people became Christians, less and less people buying animals, it was affecting the commerce. So this got brought to the governor. His name was Pliny, right? And so he decides, okay, we got to ban them from eating together. We're actually going to make a law, all right, that no more than five people can meet together at any given time. Right? He actually brought several uh, of the men. He tortured them to find out where they were meeting. Uh, and, and by the way, we have the, the, the Latin transcripts, so we know exactly what happened. And most of the groups were actually led by women who were called ministers. And thank God for our women who are ministers. Amen? And so they led these groups, just like uh, in Iran. We're going to hear about tonight. A lot of these groups are led by women, or all of them. I don't know. But, I mean, it's pretty awesome what was happening there. But even the women were being tortured all right, to find out where they met. And the thing is, this had really big consequences because he made the law, no more than five people could meet together, and he wanted symmetry in the law. So he even made sure that fire brigades couldn't be more than five people. And we know there were some devastating fires in the Roman Empire during that time because of that law, because of trying to ban Christians. Okay, now now we're not banned from meeting together, are we? We're not banned. Our lives aren't at risk. But many of us, we have every reason, we come up with every reason in the book not to meet, and we're just fine with shallow, small group. We have no problem with it. You know, at most, we're just at risk of publicly letting people into our brokenness and being vulnerable and transparent, and that takes, that's a risk, and there's a lot of fear with that. At, at most, we're, you know, we don't want to let people know that we're a Christian and publicly identify our faith, right? But we're not banned from meeting together. But even to do the things I talked about, it takes courage. And what we're really lacking the Holy Spirit Now, we claim to be people of the Spirit, but when we fail to meet together, we lack the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, let's see who we're walking with. Now, we already know that we're walking with the Holy Spirit, and it says this, let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So, we're walking with the Holy Spirit, but we're also called to walk with one another, Right? We already know that the new and living way involves the work of the Holy Spirit, but the new and living way involves every single person in this room. And when it says one another, the context of the Greek word is really unity, one accordness, being in unity together. And we must be in one accord. In fact, the giving of the Holy Spirit, where God first put courage into the Christians, right, there in Acts, was in an environment of one accord. You can see that in Scripture. And life group encouragement, it's, it's contingent upon unity, about being one another together. And i got to tell you, this is the goal of every single pastor across the country, right? They want one anotherness to be the key. They don't want you to come to church. In fact, I'll just say, Kent does not want you to come to church for him, right? He doesn't want you to come to church for me. We don't want you to come to church for any personality in the pulpit where they might become the center instead of Jesus Christ. We want you to come to church because, man, I got to see you, and I got to see you, and I got to encourage you, and I want to come to church for one another, right? The community, the body of Christ. You're the reason I come to church for God, yes, but also for you, one another. And that's how the church operates with courage, one another. 
Yeah, we can worship God alone, and we rock that in Alaska. Go up on the top of a mountain somewhere with the termination dust. Uh, who was telling me about that? John, John was telling me about termination dust going up there. You can worship God alone on a mountaintop. You can go down into a river with some awesome salmon. You can worship God, right? But we're not actually worshiping according to how God wants us to unless we are meeting one another. We're meeting together. There's a community aspect that's critical as we're in one accord, in unity, offering direct ascription of worth to God in worship. In fact, the giving of the Holy Spirit, where God put courage into us initially for the first time, was in an environment of one accord. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2, 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2, 46. So continuing daily with... In the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And everything that God wants to do through his courage put in part of us, the Holy Spirit, happens when the household of God is in one accord, in unity, in one another-ness. And that's God's call to us. Everybody just go ahead, turn to your neighbor and just say this to them, man. We're in this together. We're in this together. And an encouragement helps unify the church in one accord. And it combats doubt, despair, and hate. And deepens faith, hope, and love. Say it with me. It deepens faith, hope, and love. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another. How often? As long as it is called, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, relationships fail. You say, well, what makes relationships fail? Relationships fail when hearts harden. Okay? God calls us, as we see in verse 22, to a tender, sincere, open heart. A sinful, closed heart, and what closes a heart is sin is the opposite of that. It ruins the meeting together. It destroys relationships, destroys lives. And so encouragement, akin to the direct work of the Holy Spirit, is the cure. It fights off the sin that so easily entangles us, as Hebrews 12.1 says. And it helps us persevere. In verse 24, it says, let us consider, it literally means to observe attentively What's going on with our brothers and our sisters? Man, we got to have our head in a swivel. we got to know what's happening with our brothers and sisters so that we can know how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And by the way, that's the measure of success with encouragement. It's not, oh, do they feel better. Oh, oh, they feel better. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so happy. <laughs> no, no. Are they a more loving person? You spring one another toward love and good deeds. Is there, are there deeds in their life that are growing and blessing other people? That's the measure of encouragement. It's not some fuzzy feeling. That's what the world does. The world uses that as the bar. Oh, well, I, I, my encouragement worked. They feel better, right? And so as we close today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to stand. And we're going to practice a little bit. You know, I, I just love uh, the opportunity to use church to actually practice our faith and to get better at it. And so uh, I don't want you just to, to be hearers of the word, but 
doers also. So we're just going to take an opportunity to practice a little bit. So let's just start with something easy. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and just say, you rock, man. man. Right? Just lift your voices. Come on. All right? And now if you want to truly encourage someone according to the way Scripture says to do it, you want to encourage them with the Word of God. Amen? Because the Word of God will not return void, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to lift our voices and quote these scriptures, and we're going to use them as practice for encouragement. Let's say these things together. Go. Keep pressing toward the prize, man. Fight the good fight. Come on. Be strong and courageous for the Lord God is with you. Church, may the Holy Spirit be in you and empower you to grow upward in faith, inward in hope, and outward in love through intentional and direct meeting together and all the more until you see the day of the Lord approaching. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's encourage Chaplain Halta. Very good job. Thank you. Thank you. All right.